when God established the church, it's also his elect. We're elect of God. Because this word elect does mean chosen. Every so many years, we go to the polls and elect the president, you know, and, and uh, then we also elect political leaders in Congress and so forth, which means we have chosen them. Because when you go to the election, it's chosen day, really. <laughs> Who are you going to choose? And uh, so keep that in mind that sometimes the word elect in the scriptures has to do with Israel, and other times it has to do with the church. And the, of course, Israel was the um, Jews, as we call them, and the church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And so we have been elect because we have chosen, we've been chosen. Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. And everyone that he called, he let them have that choice of following him or not. He said, follow me. But he never said, you, you follow me, you know, or something like that. Or, but he let them choose where to follow him. So in the church, we're also elect of God. We are a chosen generation is what one scripture talks about. A royal priesthood that is to be holy unto God. So when you read passages like in, in uh, Matthew 24, where it says at the end of the tribulation, Christ will come back and every eye will see him at the end of the tribulation, and then his angels will gather together his elect from the four winds of the earth. So some have interpreted that as the rapture, when the angels would gather together his elect from the four winds. But there, it's talking about Israel more than the church, because the church was raptured seven years before Christ comes back to the earth. And... Uh, so both, both are elect. So sometimes it's talking about the Jews and other times it's talking about the church. So when he said, Esau, I have hated, he meant in comparison to the love that he had for Jacob and his descendants, it was as if he hated Esau and his descendants. But we know his descendants are loved of God just as much as Jacob's descendants because whosoever will may be saved. And so, um, but when people reject what God has offered them, then that is what turns God against them, especially when they reject the cross, as we'll be seeing. Okay, so... So then, uh, let me go to Peter here. I didn't write it on there because it's just a couple of verses. Um, in First Peter, by the way, we have just one more lesson in this unit, and then we're going to be studying the letters of Peter and Jude. So we'll be looking at that starting the last Sunday of this month on the 25th. Um, 
keep going. Okay, the first scripture here is in First Peter. That's Second Peter. The first uh, two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So there he's, he's saying, I'm writing to all these Jews that are scattered throughout the world and uh, remember that even though you've been scattered because of persecution mainly, you're still chosen of God. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And that's another <coughs> important word is foreknowledge. which we were talking about, that uh, even though we have that free will in God's foreknowledge, he knows what our choice will be because he knows the end from the beginning. <coughs> one of my professors... One of my professors at Bible college would say, I may know that you plan to go to Dallas. We were in Waxahachie, of course. He said, I may know you plan to go to Dallas, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop you from going there or uh, encourage you to go, <laughs> but I may know that you're going there. And so he said that God knows where we're heading, but he's not going to interfere with us getting there. Then in Second Peter, the um, can't read my writing. Uh, the first chapter again, but the tenth verse, it says, "Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never fall." I think the NIV says stumble. Um, that reminds me, my brother-in-law, <laughs> my brother-in-law and I got in a debate whether, when the pastor was going, I'm the pastor, the president <laughs> was going up the steps of Air Force One. It it showed him stumbling and falling to me, but. Uh, he insists, no, he didn't fall, he just stumbled. <laughs> but uh, usually you fall after you stumble because that's just pre Yeah, I guess you can catch yourself sometimes and not fall. But but it looked like it looked like he went down to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway. He always picks on some things like that to argue with. But <laughs> I said, well, one newscast says he fell, another one says he stumbled. So 
the same word can be used fall or stumble according to what the NIV says and what the King James says. <coughs> For an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in his first letter, Peter addressed, notice, the elect or chosen of God at the time of his writing, and that included both the Gentiles and the dispoiled or the scattered Jews, those living outside the land of Israel. This is significant because it was written by an apostle to the circumcised. The inclusion of the Gentiles is not an afterthought. The elect includes Gentiles. The election of the Gentiles was accomplished at a price by the death of the Son of God, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Father elects, the Son sheds his blood, and the Spirit sanctifies or makes holy. And so the purpose is to bring them into fellowship with God and obedience to Jesus Christ, their Lord. So then in 2 Peter, he says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble or fall. Faith in Christ will and, mo and must produce obedience to Christ. So then we come to another passage of scripture about who or what restrains the Antichrist. And that is found in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. Any volunteers to read that? All right. All right. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God and is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And when the lawless one, lawlessness one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. 
He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. got your finger too <laughs> anyway um, so this has been a passage that's been debated about who is or what is restraining the Antichrist and because uh, he says that he that now letteth will let or permit until he be taken out of the way and of course we know the church is a she because it's the bride of Christ so who's the he <laughs> so the he uh, it represents the spirit of God that is in the church. So um, someone said when the Lord wants to do the rapture, he just has to call the Holy Spirit home and the church comes along because we're in the Holy Spirit's in us. And we know it is the church that is mainly restraining evil in this world and, and the, this antichrist from being revealed. And uh, the first verse there that she read is interesting where it talks about the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him. So in that one verse, you have the rapture and the second coming because he says the coming of the Lord when he comes the second time. But our gathering together unto him is in the rapture. And so you have both the... the uh, phases of the second coming right there and uh, so he said to not let anyone deceive us and thinking that the Lord has already come when he hasn't come yet or that the Antichrist is on the scene when he really isn't on the scene yet because he said this Antichrist which he calls the lawless one will be revealed after the rapture after the church is taken out of the way because the church is the restraining force because Jesus gave all power onto the church to over the enemy. And uh, so the Antichrist cannot be revealed until we're taken out of the way, praise God. So that's a good pre-trib verse right there who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth, or another place said with the sword of his mouth. In Revelation we find where it says a sword goes forth from his mouth in which he will destroy the Antichrist and his armies. So uh, we know that God's Trinity is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is God's Trinity. Well, Satan likes to imitate things, you know, so, so with the uh, Satanic Trinity, 
it'll be Satan, and then it'll be the Antichrist that would be like Christ. Jesus was uh, incarnate. God was in Christ, and so Satan is going to be in the Antichrist, and then the false prophet will come along to get people to worship the Antichrist, which is what uh, the Holy Spirit does right now to, to lead us in worshiping God and, and Jesus. So uh, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until after the church is taken out of the way, is what it's really saying there. Um, some have had different interpretations, of course, of who is the restraining one. Some say it's the Jews itself, and, and, uh, but it seems to indicate to me that it's talking about the, the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't going to be completely gone because otherwise no one could get saved during the tribulation period but he is going to take the church home. And uh, so then after the church goes home, the Holy Spirit will still be here because he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, and uh, you can't flee from his spirit no matter how you try. As, as the psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I go up to the stars, he's there because he's everywhere, the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit in the church that is the main restraining force right now of uh, the Antichrist taking over or coming into power. But after the church is gone, then shall the wicked one be revealed and he will meet his end when Jesus comes back to reign upon the earth. All right, so... Uh, the next one is in Hebrews 6, 1 through 11. That's a long passage. Who'd like to read that? Brother Thurman, did you want to read that? I thought I saw him volunteering. Alrighty. Yeah, thank you, brother. Okay, uh, Hebrews 6. Oh, Peter's back on, I'm sorry. Uh, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. Lay not again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tested of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. And they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat, 
for them by whom it is dressed receive blessings from God. But, excuse me, I'm, I'm reading to 11. Okay. Uh, but that which beareth thorns and bars is rejected and is not unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, for God is not un unrighteous to forget your works and labor of love, which ye have shewed, toward, shewed towards his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. So this has been a difficult passage along with Hebrews 10, 25 through 28 uh, goes right along with this about warning of really losing out with your salvation and with God. And uh, it's known as one of the strictest verses in the Bible is uh, Hebrews 10, um, 8 through 11, which says, Hebrews, uh, I'm skipping down there to Hebrews 10, 25 through 28 for time reasons. <laughs> uh, it says, not forsaking this assembling of ourselves together. Well, the verse before that is what we really also need to point out. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So that's one thing that we're encouraged to do is to love one another and to try to do good to each other, um, but not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, for if we sin willfully, notice that, if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So that's a very stern warning against backsliding, for one thing, because uh, we read there, or Brother Thurman did, in Hebrews, the, the sixth chapter, where it talked about that he's talking to those that have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. And... If they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So that goes right along with the warning there in Hebrews 10. The <coughs> writer to Hebrews was not addressing sinners. He was talking to the... Hebrew Christians that have 
accepted Christ. And so he said, if you have accepted Christ and you have even tasted of the Holy Spirit, so they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and yet if they turn away and reject Christ and the cross and his blood, there remains no more sacrifice for them because that's the only sacrifice that will save us is the blood of Jesus and the cross. And so that's why there's no more sacrifice for them because he's the only sacrifice. He's the only way. And if we turn away from the way, then we can become lost. And not only lost, but go to hell because it's talking about a fiery indignation there, if you notice so this is a very strong warning against backsliding, but it's not just talking about if you do a sin or if you're deceived into sin, but it's talking about uh, the word that I had on there, apostasy, because this is different than committing a sin. Apostasy was to completely reject Jesus and his blood and the cross and uh, th they will go into apostasy even if they had been saved once because these are Christians that he's writing to. He said, you've tasted of the word of God, you've tasted of the Holy Ghost and yet if you turn away from that, there remains no more sacrifice for you but uh, fearful judgment. We know God is a God of love, but he is a holy God. And uh, he will judge those that turn away from him. Just like even under the law of Moses, when, uh, or the time of Moses, I would say, when Korah and them rebelled against Moses, the ground opened up and swallowed them. They went directly to hell without collecting $200 is as, as that uh, game talks about. Uh, go directly to jail, do not collect $200. You all remember that in Monopoly. Well, they went directly to hell because the earth opened up and hell is beneath the earth, we're told. So anyway, uh, it's a very dangerous thing, but a lot of people sometimes out of ignorance will sin or will, will uh, curse God and things like that. But those that know better, look out, because it's a stern warning. And uh, Romans 10, 8 through 11, talks about the fact that, that this is how we're saved, is by believing in Jesus and putting our trust in him. If we confess <coughs> with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So that's why it's important to believe in the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't be saved. Because you have to believe that God raised him from the dead. Lord, we thank you for the victory we have in you. We pray that you will help us, Lord, to keep true to you, Lord. And not turn our back on you and the cross and the precious blood of Jesus, because when we do, we are like crucifying you afresh and anew, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And uh, so this is a very dangerous thing to, to uh, reject Christ and his blood.
And we thank you, Lord, for the victory we have in you. Be with the service to follow. Draw us closer to you each day in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Got one more lesson, like I said, on difficult passages, and then we go to the letters of Peter and Jude. Sure glad to have Glenn and Paula with us today. Yeah. As you notice, we moved from the other room. <laughs> I think I'm all right, but Is it still warm? hit me a little. Warm up? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs>